This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Now, before we look at this passage, I just want to tell you uh, what's happened right before this. Because if you're new to the Bible, you might, you might be unaware of what's going on and, and what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Here's what's happened. Jesus has lived his life, a perfect life. He's the Son of God, God in the flesh. He's lived a perfect life. He has died for our sins. Uh, he's taken our sins upon himself. He's been buried. He's already been raised from the dead, come to new life. Uh, he has appeared to others as uh, he's appeared to other people in, in resurrected uh, form as a resurrected man, the God man, Jesus. And uh, he has now, we're now to the place where he has told his followers, he has said, Go and wait for me because I am going to send power is what he says. And so they have waited. And I mean, they hear the disciples, Jesus is gone. They've watched him fly up into heaven, literally before their eyes. And he has said, I want you to go and wait for power. And then in Acts 2, this power comes and it is not what anybody expected. That these believers, these small group of followers, they are praying together and God falls down on them in a way they've never experienced. And bizarre things happen. There are tongues of fire flaming over their heads. There's a wind that is literally blowing through the room. They are speaking in languages that they have never heard or don't know miraculously. And a crowd gathers around them and says, man, what is this? Are these people drunk? What is go- These people are nuts. What is going on? And then Peter stands up, one of the disciples, and says, no, we're not drunk. This is what's happened. For all of history, God's people have waited for the Holy Spirit to come in power, and that's what's happening right now. And then he stands up and says, this is what Jesus did. He came and he gave his life, just as I explained, he died for sinners, you crucified him, and they're all cut to the heart, and they say, oh, what must we do to be saved? And he says, believe in Jesus, be baptized, and you can be saved. And here's what happens in verse 41 of Acts 2. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the first church is born right here with 3,000 people. Now, if the story stopped right there, this would be, this would be the big idea. The Holy Spirit comes, he gives people faith when they hear the gospel, and they believe in Jesus, and they get a new life. That would be the story if it stopped right here. If the story stopped right here, it would be about individual people coming to believe in Jesus, getting a new life, being a new person, being born again, becoming a Christian. That's what it would be about. But it doesn't stop there. Look what happens in verse 42, and this is our section for today. Verse 42, and individuals are saved, and something else happens when the Holy Spirit comes. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see what happens when God pours out his spirit? Do individuals come to personal faith? Absolutely. But something else happens too. God builds community among people. And really, this passage teaches us that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in his new community. That's why the Holy Spirit comes. He empowers us. He gives us new life, and he empowers us to live out that new life in his new community. No human can make happen what we just read. There is no human that can create this kind of society, this kind of community, where people give their lives to Jesus and where people give their lives to one another in love, in relationship, in care, where they prefer one another, take care of the needs of one another freely and willingly and generously and joyfully. There's no human that can produce this kind of incredible love in community. And that's why the description of this community comes in the same chapter on the heels of the description of the coming of the Holy Spirit, because they're linked. The Holy Spirit comes to give new life to individuals, and then the Holy Spirit empowers those individuals to live out their new life in his new community. And our vision of church life, our vision of community should be so great, it should be so powerful that we should say the only way that can happen is if the Holy Spirit moves. The only way that can happen is if the Holy Spirit changes our heart. We can't all get together and say, man, let's be a church community. Everybody, hands in here, ready? On three, break, break. Yeah, let's go do it. I can't give you a locker room speech that will inspire you to live a life of community together with other Christians. We can't roll out the four-step plan Guys, it's the fall. We've got the four-step plan that guarantees a church full of vibrant community. We can't do that. No pastor can get up here and guilt the people, shame the people, beat down the people until everybody feels so guilty. Well, I guess I got to go do whatever this stuff is. Nobody can make that happen. It only happens when the Spirit of God comes and touches our hearts. We don't have a strategy. We don't have a program that can make this happen. We can't stir human commitment, willpower, endurance, gritting our teeth. If we could, it would have happened long before Acts 2. But we can't. We need the Holy Spirit. And so real community in the Bible starts with this idea of our need. I need God. If I'm going to love my fellow believer, I got to have the Holy Spirit do something in my heart. If I'm going to receive from my fellow believer, I got to have the Holy Spirit do something in my heart. We want a church life experience that could only be explained by stepping back and saying, only God could do that. That's not a great church because they got a great plan. 
because they got a great program, because they got some great leaders, they got some great small groups. No, we're going to step back and say, only God can do that. And if our vision and hope and desire for church community is something we can do on our own, then it's way too small, and it's it's not God's plan. God's plan is only accomplished by God's power. That's always the case. Look what the Holy Spirit does when he energizes these new believers. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. They were devoted to teaching, they were devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayers. Verse 42, devoted, devoted. That They weren't consumers who were just kind of dropping in to get a little self-help lesson, get some pragmatic steps, get kind of motivated for their week so that they could then go out and do their thing. No, they were devoted to the community. Here's what this word devoted means. To occupy oneself diligently with something. God captured their heart, and they were occupying themselves diligently with God and His purposes. I love that. It means to pay persistent attention to. We live in a world of incredible distraction. And the only way we will pay persistent attention to the Lord and his purposes through his people is if the Holy Spirit captures our attention, grabs our heart, fixes our gaze. It it means to hold fast to something. They were devoted. They were holding fast to the teaching. They were holding fast to the breaking of bread. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was holding fast to them. They were holding fast to God only because God had already gripped their hearts. I mean, it was just a few hours, a few days before this description. They're saying, you're a bunch of drunks. They saw God at work and they thought it was drunk people. That's how how far they were from God. And now they've been drawn in and they're saying, man, I'm holding fast to what he is doing devoted. They were devoted people, so devoted that they changed the world. We're here today gathered in this little auditorium in Frisco, Texas, because of something God did 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem when he poured out his spirit. And those people were so gripped with him that they built their lives together. And then they were sent out either by persecution or by choice to go out and tell other people who formed other communities like this, who then sent other people out that formed new communities like this. And then someday, way down 2,000 years later, some people moved here and started this church so that we would be able to live our lives together to fulfill the purpose of God through the power of the gospel. They changed the world. Why? Because they were really smart? No. Because they were really impressive? Actually, they were really unimpressive. Fishermen, tax collectors, they were very regular people. But they were empowered by God. Have you ever encountered that kind of community? Have you ever encountered, well, probably none of us have encountered exactly what happened right here, but have you ever encountered a community that had those values, where this was, this kind of life, shared life together, was on display in some way, and the people were gripped by the Spirit, and they were chasing this dream of Acts 2, 42 through 47. Because if you've ever been exposed to that, it will change your life and it will, it will help you to reprioritize what really matters and what am I living for. 
Because when I read Acts 2, 42 through 47, hear about the devotion, hear about breaking bread in one another's houses, hearing about everybody walking around in awe, hearing about everybody sitting around the table laughing generously, enjoying life together, when I hear about them praying for one another, when I hear about when somebody has a need, everybody's gathering and helping that person's need, and when the person is in need, they're surrounded by help because people love Jesus and love them. When I hear that kind of life together, an evening sitting at home watching Netflix just doesn't sound too exciting. And I watch Netflix. I'm not condemning that. But by comparison, by comparison, if you've ever been exposed to this type of community where people are seeking to walk this out, it is changing, life-changing. I remember when I was first exposed to a church that was emphasizing this passage of Scripture and and limping along, but trying, trying by the Spirit of God to, to live in this kind of lifestyle together. I know this is crazy sounding in our world. It's crazy sounding, but it's Bible. It's the Bible. I didn't come up, this isn't my plan. This is the Bible. Um, but it was, it, was, it was in the late 80s. My wife and I, we grew up in Texas. I grew up in the church, and I, I grew up in a couple of good churches. I was in one church from kindergarten through my senior year of high school. What a privilege. If you can raise your kids in one church, what a privilege that I was able to go through all of my school years uh, in the same church. And then I went to college, and I was in one church all through college. Again, what a privilege to be at one city, one place, one fellowship the whole time. Um, so, and they were good churches. Uh, then we moved to California where I was going to go to graduate, we went to seminary, and, uh, and there we became part of a church, and it was different, different than what I had experienced in many ways. Because as we came among these people, we found that they were reading this passage of Scripture, and they were trying to live it out. And here's what they had. They had a, a great advantage and a great disadvantage. The great advantage was everybody was young. So they were in their 20s. And like old people were maybe 32 and uh, 30, 35. Whoa. Well, I mean, if you were 40, let's just have a funeral. So they were, so everybody, and I, Ginger and I were about 23, 24. So everybody's, what they had going for them is they were young and idealistic. So they could read this passage of scripture without cynicism and say, oh yeah, this can happen today. Disadvantages, they were young and not very wise, so they didn't have the experience of older people uh, helping them uh, walk through many of the things in life. But it was, a, it was something we had never experienced before, because when we walked in, we had heard the same gospel, obviously. We had heard the same teaching from the Bible, obviously, but what we hadn't seen is people who were trying to really live this out. I remember visiting a small group when we first got there. I've been in Bible studies before. Okay, I got that. But we just went in a small group, and people were real. They were honest. I was like, well, why didn't everybody have their church face on? Aren't you supposed to have you like you bring your church game, you know, kind of use the lingo and, and, you know, do the right thing to look right to everybody. And people were just like confessing where they were really at. And my wife and I had this fight and, you know, I've got this problem. And whoa, well, these people like those are things that are supposed to be in your head. You don't tell other people that kind of stuff. And I just remember being so struck by that. I remember being struck by everybody had each other in their homes. So people were, you know, uh, I mean, everybody had their own house, but people would visit, you know, let's have have you over for dinner, bring your kids over, the kids can play. But they were, this is like a community. 
You know, this isn't like just the Sunday building we go to as church. This is a shared life. We were taken by this. This is in Pasadena, California, 1988. And we were taken by this. I, I remember people openly talking about the Lord. So they, they weren't weird. They could talk about other things too. Um, but they were just sharing about the life of the Lord. People were sharing about that. People were uh, giving to one another. I, I, I remember people praying sincerely for one another. And it wasn't like just at a prayer meeting. I remember like just talking to somebody and they would say, well, let's pray about that. Well, the prayer meeting, when is that? When this weekend? No, like right now. Okay. Well, just, wow, that's just like a normal Christian life. You got a problem. Let's pray about that. I was just taken aback by a culture where Jesus was alive. I know he's alive. I read about that, but you guys really are believing this and sharing it with one another. And, and seeking to reach out to the lost at the same time. And it was a flawed church for sure. It was a flawed church, but there was something so ennobling about just the hope and the dream and the vision and the attempt in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something that's just beautiful about, Lord, help us do this and trying, no matter how clumsy. It was. People sharing about their marriage, people helping one another with their parenting. Just a beautiful, beautiful environment. And really, we were in that church for five to seven years, and it just, it just did something in us where we wanted to be a part of that. I showed up as like pastor guy, wanting to be a pastor. I was a seminary student. And, uh, you know, I wish I could say that, you know, all seminary students are just holy and servants, and they're like anybody else. They're looking for a job, okay? And so I wanted to go be a pastor, and this church was small, fairly small, and they had no job openings. And so I say, I need to go do an internship somewhere, don't look at me funny. You thought about your job the same way as an accountant or IT or whatever you do. So I need to go somewhere. There's an in, I can get an internship and they'll hire me and that kind of thing. There's no open road. It doesn't look like with these people. And they've already got pastors. And, but I was so struck. I said, I feel called to be a pastor. That's what I feel called to do. But, but I'm putting that aside. And I'm, Ginger and I said, we're playing our card. We are all in. Push our chips to the center of the table. We are all in. And I don't care what happens, we want to be a part of this. And if we get to be a part of a community like this that's really taking the Scripture seriously and walking out, then what I do is really secondary. We really came to that position where we said, what, what, what we do is really secondary. What we are a part of is more important than the part we play. What we are a part of, and when I read this, I think what they were a part of was more important than what any individual did uh, in the community the we was much greater than the I, right? It was them together. So what is it in this community that stands out? I'm going to share four things about this community briefly with you. I mainly just wanted to lay out sort of a vision, sort of a hope, and a dream, and call us to pray as we walk through another book, the book of 1 Corinthians, over the next school year. Uh, number one, it was a learning community. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is the apostles' teaching? You've got it on your lap, or it's on the tray in front of you. Uh, if you need a Bible, grab one. We're in Acts 2. I think I already mentioned that. But under, on the seat in front of you is a Bible, or you have it on your phone, your device. Uh, this is the apostles' teaching. This is what the Lord has recorded for us to study and to learn. It's not a book of nice quotes and good ideas something to put on a coffee cup because it's got a nice little ring to it, wise saying, self-help, motivational comments. 
It's the living Word of God. It is God's very Word to you. And that's why they were devoted to it. Because if I want to know what God thinks and what God says, it's right here. This is the only place to find the Word of God is in the Scripture. So they were devoted to it. They were, they were hearing it, and ultimately they were hearing it together. They didn't have a New Testament like you do. So to be devoted to the apostles' teaching means you get where the apostles are. And you listen to them teach. Look down at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together. That's what we're going to call our First Corinthians series, Together. Uh, listen to that. They were listening together. They were devoted, but they were learning together. They were a learning community. And this is very distinctive, to be a learning community. They were attending, listening and then living it out. They're in one another's houses. Day by day, they're gathering in the temple. Uh, so in, in, after work each day, they're getting together. Uh, formally, it sounds like. Or they may have done that in the prayer time in the afternoon. But they were getting together day by day. Do you know what it's to be a part of a learning community? Are you, are you leaning towards being in a learning community? That means learning and applying together. That's what it says. They were together in this, devoted to the apostles' teaching. I am all for private study. I'm all for reading your Bible one-on-one. -on -one. Absolutely. Wonderful. I'm all for private study. All for private. I'm all for downloading a sermon off the internet and, and listening to a podcast. That is great. I'm all for good Christian books. Yes. Can't get enough of that. But it's very different to learn together versus me just doing my own study. And do you realize there is a big difference between a learning community and a teaching center? Here's a teaching center. You all show up, and I stand up here with a mic, and I do something for you. I, hope, I entertain you. Uh, I give you some wisdom. I bring you to tears at some point by telling a tear-jerking story. I leave you with a memorable quote, probably from me, that you could put on a T-shirt. And wow! And I use, I use a lot of alliteration and a lot of little cute sayings and like, oh yeah, this. And, and then you take that out and you live your life with the self-help that the guru gave you down at church on Sunday morning. And then you come back for more next week. You're a consumer. I provide goods and services to you. And then you go live your individual life and then come see me next week for more of the good stuff. That's a teaching center. A learning community is we come together, we hear something together. We're thankful for podcasts. I listen to other preachers. I don't listen to myself. Thank, you are, thank you, but I don't listen to myself. But I listen to preachers. I listen to other people, but that's not my learning community. My learning community is what am I learning together with you? Last two weeks, Rob and Bob spoke. 
So my learning community is, what are they saying to me as my pastors? And what is they saying to us together? And how are we going to apply that and walk that out in this context, in this zip code, in these, uh, in these neighborhoods, in these schools, in the jobs God sends us out to, in our families and in our homes? And how are we going to walk that out together as a community to grow and to reflect the work of Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit? That's a learning community, a church. It's not a teaching center dispensing goods and services. It's the Word of God forming us together, and they're applying it together. They're meeting for teaching, but they're also in one another's homes. They're also praying. They're also hanging out together. They're also providing for one another. They're also helping one another. It's encouraging, in a, it's encouraging when someone says to me on a Sunday, this, and this is, I'm going somewhere with this, this isn't, a hint, this isn't a hint for an encouragement, it's not. It's encouraging when someone says to me, hey, that was a great sermon. That, or that, that helped, that's more encouraging than that sermon stunk. So that's encouraging. But here's what's most encouraging. When someone says to me, hey, we talked about Acts 2 this week. You know what? We were in our small group, and we were talking about that verse about being devoted to teaching. And here's how we all shared together. And here's what we kind of learned together about that. That's encouraging because that's a learning community. When someone says to me, I went to coffee with someone, and we were talking about this Acts 2 passage and how we could help one another grow in building a community by God's grace and power of us. And we were talking about that. What could we do? Yes. I had someone over to my house, and we were having dinner together, and we were talking about that passage that we talked about last Sunday. That's a learning community. That's a learning community. And that's what God designed us for, to hear his word and walk it out in a context with people, fellow sinners, together, together. Yesterday, we had a day of training for our small group leaders. And we took several of them, and they served on a panel to answer questions for the other small group leaders. And one of the questions that was posited to these three small group leaders had to do with, how does the Word of God, uh, how, how is it applied in your small group? Can you give us any examples? And as they went through some examples of, we were talking about this scripture in our group, and this is what happened in people's lives as they sought to apply it and open up. I just thought, that is, that's what learning together and being devoted is all about. Individual study, for sure, for sure, but a learning community. Number two, they are a sharing community. They were devoting themselves not only to the teaching, but to the fellowship. Now, what's the word fellowship? It sounds like a spiritual kind of Christian word, right? And sometimes it's used weekly. Like, I'll watch the Cowboys game this afternoon. So if people that don't know Jesus watch the Cowboys game, they're watching the Cowboys game. But if Christians want to get all hyper-spiritual and they have somebody over to watch the Cowboys game, we had fellowship. I just, no, you watch the Cowboys game, okay? We don't have to, be, have to Christianize everything and spiritual. Just go watch the game. Have some fun. Uh, so that's fine. But fellowship is not just Christians in the same room. We were in the same room, and we all love Jesus, so that must be fellowship. Fellowship is when we share in something that's beyond us. So if you and I are friends, if we're just friends, then we just have this relationship. But if we're Christian brothers, and we're friends together, and we talk about the Lord and share about that, then we, we share something that's outside of us and beyond us. And that's what the word, the fellowship, means, that they are sharing in something that's beyond them, and what goes beyond them is Jesus Christ. 
They're sharing in Jesus Christ. Some of these people in this church, what we know from just the previous chapter is that some of them were from different cultures. They didn't even speak the same language. Well, they may, they may have understood the same language, but their native language could have been different. So these people had different cultures. They were, had all come to Jerusalem for this festival, and then this Holy Spirit thing happened, and they all be, believed in Jesus, and now they're stuck together. And so uh, they were from different places, and they had different differences among them. But what brought them together? What brought them together? Was it this, they had the same socioeconomic background? No. They would not have. There would have been some people in this church that had means. We know that because it said as anyone had needs, they sold what they had. If you've got a need and i got something, then we'll help you with that. That means they weren't all poor. Some people had stuff, nice stuff that you could sell and get money for. So some people had money, some didn't. Uh, they were different cultures. They were all Jewish when they came in, but there would have been certain things about their cultures that were different because they weren't all from this area. And so maybe a modern illustration would be, we'd say they're not all the same race. We don't gather by people who are my same ethnicity or my same race. We gather around Christ. So it doesn't, so ethnicity matters. Race matters. It just doesn't matter ultimately. It's not, it's not what joins us together. We all have distinct cultures and we want to celebrate that and are grateful for that. And that's wonderful. That's part of the uh, creative design of God. That's a beautiful thing to have maybe a culture that you grow out of or that you're from. But there's something that supersedes that and transcends that. And that's the culture of Jesus, which says it doesn't matter if you're male or female, rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your race or background is. We're joined in him. So they were sharing together. They were diverse. They were laying aside differences of age, uh, gender, and they were together. They were building lives and something they had in common. And I love how it says they did that. How did they, they were devoted to the fellowship. What did that look like? Well, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, some people say, verse 42, that that means communion. It could but probably not, because down in verse 46, it says, day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Probably the breaking of bread means sharing a meal together. Now, they shared communion together, but that's probably what it's talking about. What did it mean that they had fellowship? It means that they shared meals together. They extended hospitality to one another. Is that, is that part of your vision for a Christ, the Christian life? I mean, do you see the Christian life? Some people see the Christian life as just rows. It's a, it's a place I go on Sunday morning. I, I hear some, some music to inspire me. I hear somebody speak. Hopefully they inspire me. And then I go and I do my deal. And Christianity for me means I sit in a room with rows. Other people take it a step further and say, well, yeah, I do that. But I'm also part of a small group. We call them community groups here if you're new. Call them community groups. And so I'm part of a circle. I don't just sit in rows, but I'm in a living room in a circle. And so I have a study there, and we pray for one another, and i got some people that help me with life, and we bear one another's burdens in that meeting, and that's very good. So rows are important, circles are important, but here's a different image that we get from chapter 2, and it's tables. Is part of your image of the Christian life sitting around a table with food and drink and laughing? Because this says they're sitting around a table with joy. It says when the Holy Spirit came... 
Everybody wasn't just so sanctimonious in every moment using their King James English or their church lingo or being or just talking using spiritual lingo. They're also sitting around receiving food with glad hearts and generous hearts. So is part of your vision of the Christian life sitting around a table, throwing back your head with a belly laugh when someone's saying, remember the time we... Because those kind of relationships are part of what God has for us. We may not be experiencing those, but that's what God has for us. With church people? Yeah, with church people. That is what church people are supposed to be doing, eating and drinking and laughing at the table generously, gladly together. It's a powerful picture. It's what the Holy Spirit did. When, when the Holy Spirit moves, he joins us in Christ in very practical ways. They shared their meals. They shared their stuff together as well. It says, verse 44, they believed and were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Oh, were they in a communistic government? No, this is not communism. It wasn't an enforced government uh, policy that no one has personal ownership. They had personal ownership because they sold stuff. But it means if somebody had a need, Mikasa's two costs, right? Whatever I have is what is for you. Whatever you have is for me. So there's, there's a sharing. You got a need and I can meet it. Well, I want to meet that. So they were, they were sharing their lives. They were sharing their faith. They were sharing their food. They were sharing their table. And man, here's where it really gets at Americans. They were sharing their stuff and they were willing to sacrifice so that somebody else could have something. Oh, I really don't need that. That's just kind of, I'll sell that and then give you what you need. That's really practical. When the Holy Spirit moves, people, it says they, gave, they, they shared their meals with generous hearts and they shared their stuff. All of a sudden, this sort of selfish, ingrained mine kind of stuff, they opened their arms and said, this is the Lord's stuff. Freely have I received, freely I want to give. They were a sharing community. They were a part of something bigger than themselves. Do you know what that's like? To be a part of something bigger than yourself. Not just a part of something, but the word that the Bible uses is devoted. The Holy Spirit grasping your heart so that you're devoted to something bigger than you. First of all, Jesus and his purposes in his church. Secondly, the community God's puts you in. And it may not be this church. You may be from another church. You're just visiting here today. Um, so we're glad to have you. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about your church. If you're a member somewhere else, that community is the place God has called you to share. Third, they were a worshiping community. And by this, I'm talking about the, path, the, the phrases that talk about their Godward orientation. Um, it says they were devoted to the prayers. That is, they were a praying people. Whenever the Holy Spirit moves, he will call his people to pray. Why? Because prayer is the realization that I am in need. When do we pray most? When we're most in need. Somebody comes up to you with a gun, oh Jesus. Unbelievers are saying, oh Lord, help me. Okay? You go to class tomorrow morning and the teacher says, today's the test. And you go, I totally forgot to study all weekend. Oh Lord, all of a sudden, you're real holy when that test comes tomorrow and you had no idea. There's layoffs at the company, and you get an email that your boss wants to meet with you at 4 p.m. today. Oh, God. 
all of a sudden, we're praying. Doctor calls you, or has you come in to meet with them. I'm sorry, I've got some concerning news. Turns out, it's cancer. Prayer, it is not difficult. So I've never had cancer, but somebody tells you you have cancer, I don't think you have to write in your journal, remember to pray each day for my health. I don't think it's a spiritual discipline. I think it's a way of life. God help me. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he shows us that we need him. And when I see I need him, I pray. And that's why they're devoted to prayer. They need the Lord. And if you read the kind of prayers that they pray, it's amazing. If you go a couple chapters, here's what happens next. A couple guys get arrested for preaching. And the authorities say, don't preach anymore. We command you not to preach. They go to a prayer meeting and they start praying. What do they pray? Lord, protect us. Lord, help the bad authorities go away. No, here's what they pray. God, give us boldness to go do directly what they told us not to do. They said, do not teach about Jesus. Lord, give us the boldness to not be cowards, to speak about Jesus. Man, that does not happen naturally. Naturally, going, well, they said we shouldn't do it, so I guess we got to come up with another way. No, they're bold. They knew their need. It also says they're meeting from house to house. I love this. Um, they were together day by day. They were, breaking, uh, they were breaking bread in their homes. So they're meeting together. But I'm, I'm sure prayer, it doesn't say that. This is a bit of a speculation. But I'm sure prayer is part of that relationship as they're meeting in one another's homes. How can I pray for you? It's just a natural part of their living. So when the Spirit comes, he points us upward in prayer that, and worship. It says they were, verse 47, praising God and having favor. Man, they had a lot to praise God for. Things were, God was at work. They were thanking him. They were devoted to prayer and to praise. And it says, awe came upon every one of them. They saw signs and wonders. So the Lord was doing some miraculous things. So they're amazed by that. They're amazed by God that he's at work. Now we say, well, yeah, well, if God was doing some, if I saw someone healed, I'd be in awe and praising God as well. If you're a Christian, you've had a greater miracle than a physical healing. I pray for physical healing. We trust God for physical healings for people that have that. And God does miraculously heal today. It's not just a Bible thing. He does but he, today. But even when he doesn't, the greatest miracle is your heart was dead. You were an enemy of God. You were opposed to God. The Lord opened up your heart to Jesus and gave you new life so that you're going to spend eternity with him. If that will not cause awe for us, nothing will. Because there's nothing more awesome than knowing Jesus and having eternal life. And if that doesn't stir my awe, then something less really isn't going to. It really isn't going to in the long run. So prayer, praise, awe. They were a worshiping community. God, you're alive. You're doing stuff. We love you. We're praying. We're worshiping. Lastly, they were a growing community because look what happens in verse 47. They were having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They weren't keeping it to themselves. They weren't a cult. They weren't a clique. They weren't a us four and no more. They weren't, we've got our little deal. They were arms open wide. Who else needs to know about the Lord? And the Lord's adding, the Lord's adding, the Lord's adding. People are coming to know Jesus because the Holy Spirit is working among them and it is contagious. Now, it doesn't mean no one was sinning. 
if you read later in the book, this is an idealistic moment. This is a beautiful moment of revival in the history of church. It's going to get pretty messy as we go forward in the book of Acts, if you read it. But, but there were certainly humans. They certainly had their challenges. But there was still something compelling about their culture because the Lord had changed them. And they weren't acting like selfish, individualistic, it's all about me and my world kind of people. They were living like people who said, it's all about the Lord and it's all about others. And he's turned us inside out and we're ruined for him and for his purposes and for his people. And people came along with that and said, wow, this is a different religion. This is different. I haven't seen something like this. I want in on it. And the Lord is adding to their number day by day. I don't think there's anything more powerful to be exposed to than a group of people who would have never been friends if it wasn't for Jesus, who would never be hanging out, sharing life together, caring for one another if it wasn't for Jesus, living life together on his mission by his power, imperfectly limping along, but trusting him in it. When that is happening, when that is happening, uh, there's nothing more compelling. There's no more compelling witness than that. Now, you can witness as an individual, and we should. You can share your faith, and I should. You should. It's powerful when someone says, this is what Jesus did for me. Wonderful. That's great. It's powerful when that happens. But when it happens in a community, and there's a, there's a demonstration of the power of God, then that is something that is uniquely compelling when people are loving others. Could something like this happen today? Yes, it could. Does it happen today? Yes, at different times, in different places, in different ways. I suppose in every church it happens where people believe the Lord to some degree, for sure. Is it happening just like this in our church right now? No, it's not happening just like this in my life. It's not. But I read this, and it stirs a hunger and a longing and a desire in me. And I know it does in you as well. And as we take an extended time to talk about community and what that could mean for us, I just wanted to lay this vision in front of us that we find in the Scripture, that when the Holy Spirit touches a people, he, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our new life in a new community, extending ourselves beyond ourselves to give ourselves to something greater than ourselves, the purpose of God to reach others with the gospel. How might the Lord be speaking to you today? Well, maybe the Lord will do something powerfully to touch your heart and reorient you and you'll wake up tomorrow morning. I mean, this happens. You'll just be renewed and revived in a miraculous way um, and you'll find yourself really drawn in many ways to repent and change and grow. That, that could happen. But oftentimes what happens is it's just a step. It's what's the next step for me. You paint the vision. This is gr- great. We want to get there. What's the next step? You ever map something on your maps on your phone? Maybe you're going to go to a destination that's really exciting. You're going to go on vacation and you map it and it's really exciting to realize, oh, that's 10 hours away and we've got four kids in the car and, you know, then it's less exciting, but you map that destination. That's where we're going to be. That's so exciting. 
and then you press on your phone and it, and it start, you know, pull 20 feet out the driveway and go right. Well, before you can get to that destination, you got to pull out of the driveway and 20 feet and go right. So you got to know what's the next step along the way. So think about this and ask the Lord, what's the next step for you? They were a learning community. How could I how could I step into a learning community? You're welcome to visit a small group if you're not in one. If you are in one, you're welcome and invited to come with fresh eyes and a fresh anticipation and fresh expectation of learning and walking together in community with others. Maybe you're new to the church and you're not in a small group. Maybe you think, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I want to join or visit even a small group right now. We shared about three classes we've got today. You can come to one of those. Maybe you're new. Hey, come to a class. Uh, come to the callings class, come to the finances class, come to a ladies Bible study. Take a step where you can put yourself with others to learn and then seek to apply. Sharing community. What could you do? Open your home. Open your, what if everyone in the church said, in the next 30 days, I'm either going to have someone from the church. Now we should reach out to people outside as well, but let's start with this right here. I'm going to have someone from the church in my home for a meal in the next 30 days, or maybe that's not a good situation for whatever reason. I'm going to invite somebody out for coffee or a meal. We're going to go get a burger together, have a coffee together, whatever it is. What if everyone in the church did that in the next 30 days? Here's what I've learned from having seasons in my life where we did that a lot and seasons in my life when we didn't. If we don't plan it, if we don't say, okay, this is happening, when is it on the calendar? It will not happen. Some of you super, super spontaneous people, it'll happen for you. You'll just pick up the phone with your super spontaneous friend and say, come over in 10 minutes, and they'll do it. But most people are too busy, and that doesn't work. So my wife and I just sat down looking at September. We said, let's look at the calendar. When are the times that we're having, uh, this is a kind of an unusual month for us, but we're having groups of people in our home. So we just put on the calendar, here's a number of times where we're going to have an individual or several or groups, and we just put it on the calendar back in August, made the necessary plans. Now we're stuck. It's happening. Now it doesn't matter in September or whatever. If I feel like, yeah, I don't know if I want to really do that. Ooh, there's people counting on us, so it's happening. But that's what I find. You just got one step. What's the next step? Who could we invite in? That's a sharing community. Generosity, and invite them in. A worshiping community. Well, you could jump into prayer. Pray with another person. Maybe it starts with just praying with one other person. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's coming Friday night. I don't know if you heard what Rob said. We're having a worship uh, conference here. There's a registration to come to it. We'd love to have you all come Friday night. It's free. Your next step could be, I don't know what all that guy talked about, but I'm coming here Friday night for that worship conference. Whatever that is, that sounds like that was in the Bible. It is. So let's come Friday night and let's pray the Holy Spirit will come in power and open our eyes and meet us gloriously as we gather with all the people. People from all over the state are coming, a number of different people coming to this conference. So that, that'd be a very next practical step, wouldn't it? That's 20 feet and turn right. We don't have to have everything in Acts 2 going on. Let's just come on Friday night. Let's have one person over. Let's pray with one person. Let's go to the before the service prayer meeting. One time. Take a step and ask the Lord to help us. How about a growing community? Growing community, invite someone here. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, they had to know what was going on. Someone had to say, guess what's happening? For someone to be added to their number, someone had to say, would you like to come? We're meeting down at the temple. We're meeting over at a good Jewish person, at Abraham's house. We're meeting over there and we're having food and a meal. Would you like to come? We're having a small group. Would you, some, to be added, they had to know about it. Not like everybody out there all of a sudden just kind of knew. Somebody said, would you like to come? 
So how did the Lord add? Because someone said, come on. So invite somebody here next Sunday. Bring them on. Saying, hey, we're, we're, we're doing a study. Why don't you come? We're going to sing some songs. We're going to meet some nice people. Why don't you come? Coffee's free for you new people. Come on. You know, come on out. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live out our life. Learning community, sharing community, worshiping community, growing community. We are learners. We are disciples. We are sharing. We are family. We are worshipers. And we are witnesses. These are the identities of this passage. We are disciples. That is, we're learners. We're sharing together. We are family. We are worshipers. We are witnesses. The identities of the church that are in this passage. And it all happens because the Holy Spirit touches us. And it all happens ultimately because Jesus gave his body and his blood to die so that people would be, his people would be together and we would be one. It all happens because of the death of Jesus. And so we're going to conclude the service now with the remembrance of Jesus's death for us. When we think about Jesus dying for us, we should certainly remember that so that we could have our sins forgiven and we could be one with him. Yes, it is about me becoming right with God. And it is also about us being joined together. He, he saves individuals, but he saves a people and he joins us to his people. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.